0: Genesis chapter 3 is where I want you to turn in your Bibles today. We are in continuing this series, uh, Eyes Wide Open. What we're going after in the title of that series is this idea of how do we see our story through the lens of God's story. And so even in that description of what we mean by the series title, Eyes Wide Open, it deserves explanation. We said in the first week of this series, which by the way, we're in the third week, that every one of us have a story. Every one of us, we may not have ever thought about it that way, but every one of us have a story. I've had, had uh, conversations with people who have never met me before, and they've actually asked me that question. Hey, Johnny, tell me a little bit about your story. And all of us have one. And just like any book that you would read, Any novel that you would read, there are chapters of that story, whatever you're reading, that are literally climactic moments of celebration and and joyous occasions that happen, and then there's also very difficult parts of that story. And the same is true of our lives. We all have a story, and what we have said up to this point is that our story easily and intuitively becomes the reality by which we see life those struggles that make up our story become the reality by which we see life. We put this chart up, it's on the back behind the screen behind me, that really talks about our reality, our struggles are made up of things that we've encountered in our past, things that we are experiencing in the present, and things that we will experience in the future. And if we don't If we aren't intentional about it, what we don't realize is, is our reality, our struggles become the lens by which we see life, by which we see ourselves. The insecurities, the different things that we see in ourselves are shaped by our struggles. They are also shaped, (coughs) excuse me, but they also affect how we view relationships, how I view friendships. Well, you might say to yourself, well, I'm a person that doesn't trust people easily, Well, if you take it back, chances are that's probably been shaped by some of the common struggles, some of the things that you've experienced in your past. And it has become, as I use my glasses as an illustration the first week, the lens by which you see life. Not only yourself, not only your relationships, but unfortunately, and oftentimes the case, it becomes the lens by which we see God. Our past, our present, our future. Our story. And so in thinking about that we all have a story, we also need to understand that God also has a story. Every one of us in this room or watching online, whether you have a tablet on your lap or whether you have it on your phone or whether you have a hard copy of God's Word, the Bible is God's story. And God's story reveals to us his character, who he is. And God's story from Genesis all the way to Revelation, even though there may be a lot of things that happen in between those books in this Bible, God's story can be summed up like this. God's story is a story of love. It's a story of love for you and for me, for the humanity that he has created, if we think about it this way, we mention this God's story can be summed up in four chapters. Theological terms it's called the meta narrative of scripture. We have creation, we looked at that last week as a part of God's story. And in creation we learned that God created us for love. God created us for what purpose? To experience his love, to know him deeply, to experience it intimately, to reflect that love. To others. That's what God designed. You said, well, wait a minute, I've heard in the past that God created us for His glory. And I would say, yes, that's right. But the way that I glorify the Lord is by loving Him and loving others. Jesus said that. God created us for love. The chapter that we're gonna look at this morning and this idea of, well, what's the meta narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation? Well, God's story also involves the fall. And what we're gonna learn about today, maybe for the first time, or be reminded of, is that evil keeps us from experiencing God's love. And then we'll look at redemption for the next two weeks moving forward, Lord willing. The wonderful good news of the gospel is that Jesus redeemed us with his love. He chose to live a perfect life that you and I can't live. He chose to die on the cross, the death that you and I deserved, and he rose again three days later so that we could be redeemed by his love. And then we look forward to a future whenever that is that Jesus will come back and he'll right all wrongs and he'll remove all sin and he'll bring back everything as it was in creation. And Jesus will bring everything back to what is good, what is perfect with his love. We will enjoy his love perfectly forever. But this morning what I want to focus on is that second chapter, if we can call it that this morning, of God's story. So the title of the message this morning is God's Story, the Fall. So Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read through verses 1 through 13. We're going to spend all of our time in these 13 verses and referring back to them. We'll mention, though we don't have time to read, verses the whole chapter, But if you've been following along in our reading plan, you have already read that this week. If you're like, reading plan, what's that? You can access that on our website, salemchapel.org backslash eyes wide open. You can grab that at the Welcome Center when you leave today and you can follow along and where we're headed in this series. But let me start in verse one. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he, this is the serpent, said to the woman, Did God actually say, I encourage you to underline and write in your Bible, you know that about me if you call this place your home, I have underlined in my Bible that phrase, did God actually say, because I hear that every day. Johnny, did God actually say? So here's what we're going to find out. Satan doesn't have a lot of new tricks. He just uses the same ones over and over again. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. So let me just stop. So what I oftentimes call, sometimes we allow what we were taught in Sunday school, nothing wrong with Sunday school, but we allow some of the stories that you know kind of are, are... don't reveal, like aren't exactly lining up with scripture or sometimes embellish scripture. So how many of you ever thought when you were taught of the fall that Eve is by herself in the garden and Adam's God knows where? Anybody else thought that? Yeah, that's, that's but what, do you, what does it say? Who was with her? So Eve sometimes gets a really bad rap. Like, well, well the reason why Eve sinned is because Adam wasn't around. If you grew up in some misogynistic culture, but, uh, sorry, I'm sure your study school teacher loved you, but he or she was wrong. And it says, and what did he do? And he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden." The Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Look at what Adam does. Whew. And the, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be careful, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree and I ate, just completely throws Eve under the bus. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Here's the idea that I want you to get today as we focus on this part of God's story, the fall, is that God did not create you to experience sin and evil. That was not God's design for humanity. What did we look at last week in Genesis 1 and 2? That everything that God created, it says at the end of chapter 1, was very good. The universe was perfect. It was good. The environment was perfect. It was good. Physically, Adam and Eve were perfect. They were tens. They were good. Their personality was perfect. Their body was perfect. Their marriage was perfect. Everything was perfect. They lived in this utopian perfect world. World, Because that's what God intended. God only created Adam and Eve to know good. God designed you and me to only know good. But unfortunately, sin and evil that we experience every day are the result of the fall. They are not a result of God not caring about you, God not loving you, God being absent from you. The sin and evil that we experience in our lives, that we experience that's done to us and that we do to others is a result of the fall. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that man and woman today were born inherently good. The Bible clearly tells us that we are born with sinful natures, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what I am saying, according to what we've read in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in the past two weeks, is that that is not what God designed you for, to be, or to experience. It's a result of the fall that starts right here in what we read in Genesis chapter number 3. Jeremiah 2.13 sums it up this: Our nature are bent because of the fall. It says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dung their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. Isn't that our tendency? Like God is here and He's saying, I've created you for love. Didn't we see that in the garden? Adam and Eve, I've created you for love. I've created this world for you. You can eat of every tree in the Garden of Eden except for one. Which, by the way, why do you think that God did that? You ever struggle with the question, say, why in the world did God create Adam and Eve if he knew that they were gonna sin anyway? Because, or why doesn't God stop evil that exists in this world today? Why did God God cause that or allow that to happen? Why didn't he stop it? Well, It's easy to throw those accusations toward God, but what we need to really step back is you don't know what you're really asking for. What you're asking for is for you to be a robot, for you not to have a choice, for you not to have a will. Like, man, oh, man, like how much would it be if Lori was programmed to love me, right? Or I was programmed to love her and I didn't have a choice, But what makes the beautiful thing about love is that there's choice involved. Is God sovereign? Absolutely, but I also have a choice. Am I ever gonna fully understand that completely? No, I'm not because I have a finite mind and I can't define an infinite God. But nevertheless, Adam and Eve had a choice and they chose wrong. They said, Lord, you've done all of this for me but we're not gonna choose the springs of living water. We're gonna try to proverbially dig our own wells The problem is those wells that they dug and those wells that we often try to dig to replace what God already offers us can never hold water. See, Satan has four primary schemes that we see in this passage of Scripture as we unpack this idea that God did not create me to experience sin and experience evil. And I don't know about you, but whether you like board games or whether you like playing sports, or whatever it is, if you like any sort of strategy at all, you know what you oftentimes need to know? What's the rules of the game, and what's your strategy to beat me? Satan has a strategy. Satan has schemes. He's called, in the Bible, the father of lies. So it's important for us to understand what is the devil going to try to throw at you and throw at me to cause me to forget that I'm loved by God. Because here's what you need to understand, as I said before. The devil doesn't have new tricks. He's always been using the same ones over and over again. He has, if, you're, if, you're, if you love tools and you're a craftsman, then let me put it this way, rather than schemes. He's got five, four primary tools to use against you and me. Let me give them to you quickly, because we see them in Genesis chapter 3. First of all, he deceives That's one of his primary schemes. He deceives. Don't you see that? In verse one, when he says to the woman, I already emphasized it, did God actually say? He deceives. With lies, tricking us into believing that God doesn't care about us, that his promises don't apply to us. Don't you see him doing that with Eve? And he does that with you and me every day. How about this one? He distracts. I mean, we see that in verse four. The woman responds properly. She says, no, 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 no. God said that we can eat of every tree in the garden except for this one. And what does the devil come back with? He says, you will not surely die. And all of a sudden begins planting this seed that what God has said and God has provided is not enough. And Don't get, we we get distracted all the time. We get distracted with the worldly comforts. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but how often do we get caught up in saying, well, God gave this person this, and God gave this person that, and I only have this, and so therefore maybe God's shortchanging me, and we compare what we have with what someone else's have, and we just live in that hamster wheel our entire lives, and why do you want this? Well, because they have it, and they seem happy because they have it. So often the enemy uses distraction in getting us to think that what we have been given that is actually a blessing from the Lord is actually not so good doesn't he do that with worry I don't know about you but you know what I have found out in my life that I think is pretty much a universal truth you cannot worry and be thankful at the same time Amen. you know why I say that because I've tried it <laughs> I try it a lot even though I think it's still not impossible I cannot worry and be thankful at the same time. So what oftentimes does worry do or those, or those scenarios? Well, maybe this would happen or maybe that would happen. What is happening? The enemy is distracting us and getting us to focus on what we don't have or what might happen rather than what he has done and is doing. He distracts. How about this one? He discourages. Look at verse 5. Then he throws out this, this whole idea, warping Eve's view of God, discouraging her and her belief in who God is. And what does he say? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What is he doing? God's trying to shortchange you, Eve and Adam. And all of a sudden, Eve's concept of God and Adam's concept of God are shaped Because the enemy is causing them to be discouraged in their view of him. Doesn't that happen in our lives? You're going through something and you're allowing those circumstances to cause you to believe, man, nothing's gonna change in this. It's always gonna be this way. It's always gonna be hard. This relationship's never gonna change. This job situation's never gonna change. This financial trouble is never gonna change. My health is never going to change. Whatever it is, you know what it is right now. That's the enemy using one of his schemes, one of his tools to discourage you. And here's the last one I see. I think, once again, there's four. He deceives, he distracts, he discourages. Here's the fourth one he creates division. You see that from verse seven. All the way through verse 24. He starts off creating division between Adam and Eve because what does Adam do? Throws his wife under the bus the first chance that he gets. Which, by the way, once again, let me emphasize this, Eve was a 10 physically. Eve's personality was a 10. Like she was everything. The fall didn't all of a sudden, boom, make her ugly. Or boom, make her not someone you wanted to hang out with. But because of sin, because of the devil's schemes, oh man, I'm going to look to divide a relationship that God intended for good. I used to be shocked when individuals would go through hard times and it would be like, man, you would think that that would be the times when we would want to run to the church And you think that that would be the time that we would want to run to our life group or run to our by group or want to run to the community that we have within the church that we know loves us and is going to reinforce God's word in us. But what do we oftentimes do? Man, that's the thing we run from. You know why? Because the enemy in those times of trouble is seeking to divide us from the very people that love us. God being first and foremost, it's his schemes. He did it with Adam and Eve. He does it with you and me. So let me give you in the rest of our time three results of sin and evil in this world. How does sin and evil have an effect on you? I believe it causes us to struggle with three things. We could put all of our struggles in these three categories. First of all, there's common struggles. Second of all, there's relational struggles. Thirdly, there's faith struggles. So let's cover the first one. There's common struggles. And we're going to see all of these manifest themselves in Adam and Eve's life. So I want to be clear that I want you to see that these are all found in scripture. You may call them different things, you don't have to call them these things, but you see them evident in Adam and Eve's life, and I want, to, want you to know that that's important, that you don't see that I'm just coming up with these as some psychotherapy, but you actually see these struggles manifested in Adam and Eve's life in scripture. Here's the first one, fantasy. Look at verse six. Just so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she didn't call it that earlier, did she? That it was a delight to the eyes, that a tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it. She got caught thinking that there was something else better out there for her. See, how does fantasy affect our lives You might wanna screenshot these if you have your phone because it's a lot to write, but I wanted to put it up there because as we go through these, I want you to ask yourself, which one of these am I struggling with right now? What do we mean by fantasy? You may struggle with discontentment and placing your hope in the next thing, the next vacation, the next job, the next move, the next car, the next house, the next relationship, you may avoid conflict or painful situations. You fantasize of different ways that life can be better or seek to escape reality through work, TV, video games, hobbies, drinking or gr- drugs. I mean, do you, you, not, you don't see obviously every one of these evident in Eve and Adam's life here, but you do see them thinking maybe something could be better than what it is. And it was perfect for them at this point. One of the common struggles that we may have is every time something's difficult, let me just escape. Sometimes when we think of fantasy, we just always wanna go to the sexual idea, but it's just wanting to escape. I'm just gonna veg on Netflix all day long because I don't wanna live in my present reality that I'm living, I'm struggling. And like I said, fantasy may be what you're struggling with. How about this one, guilt? Don't you see that all over what we just read? And specifically in verse seven, it says the eyes of them both were open and they were naked it wasn't this idea like Adam and Eve I don't mean to be funny about this but Adam and Eve were like you're naked wasn't that idea as much as it was, there was this, all of a sudden, there was not like, okay, this perfect idea of, okay, there's nothing to hide from you and I have nothing and, 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 and you have nothing to hide from me. No, 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 all of a sudden, guilt entered the world, like, like sin entered the world. They realized what they had done and a lot of us sitting in this room struggle with guilt. Regret, you're like, man, I should have, could have done this. Struggle to forgive yourself for what you've done. Yeah. Wrestle with thinking that you can't do anything right, that God's done with me. You're always messing up. You're always going to make the wrong choices. If you've thought that a lot, you're struggling with guilt. Guilt. It's a result of the fall. It's a result of evil in this world. How about this one? Shame. Here's what I've found. Shame always accompanies guilt. And it usually comes after guilt. But don't you see verse 8? What did they do? They literally, what did they do? They hid from the presence of the Lord. Evidently, God and Adam and Eve had this routine where they would walk with the Lord in the cool of the day. And as, as I said, in creation, man, they were created for love, so they experienced knowing him deeply and, and intimately and reflecting that love towards one another. And that was their routine, evidently. But now, all of a sudden, instead of enjoying the presence of the Lord, they hid from it because that's what shame causes us to do. Causes us to hide. We struggle with the sense that we'll never be good enough. We have no worth or value. We feel unloved. Or we may feel like we don't deserve to be loved. So as we go through these, here's what I've found. As I've even unpacked this this week, again, is certain one of those will start to ping on your heart and be like, that's what I'm struggling with. Why are we doing this this morning? Because I don't think we understand enough, we don't take time enough to think that actually the things that we experience that are painful, that are hurtful, are not at God's hand. They're a result of sin in this world and evil in this world. How about this one, fear? I don't mean fear like, hey, that stove is hot and I'm afraid to touch it. No, no, no. I mean fear... It plagues our mind and emotions. I mean, you see that in verses 9 and 10, right? What does Adam say? The reason why I hid, verse 10, is I was afraid. If you struggle with fear this morning, fear that God is not pleased with you, that you think you need to earn his love or believe that he will condemn you in spite of the fact that you've trusted Christ, that's what caused Adam to hid. I'm no longer good enough. God will not accept me. He was never created to feel that, to experience that? How about anger? You see that in verse 12, I'm not gonna emphasize it again, but Adam expresses anger by blaming Eve for this, by blaming the woman that God gave him. You struggle with anger this morning, you're always flying off the handle. Chances are, maybe because you've got bitterness towards those who've wronged you, forgotten you, didn't meet your expectations. As we think about our story and our struggles, maybe it's something in your past. Maybe it's something that you're experiencing presently. You're just so angry because something, someone at work is not validating you, is not seeing what you've done. Instead of being angry at the person that, that is doing that, you bring it home and you literally fly off the handle to everyone and everything. Why? Because there's a common and struggle of you inside of you and it's anger. Why do we experience these things? Because of the fall. Here's the last one, sorrow. You see that in verse 13, as the woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. We see that all the way through the rest of this chapter. Can you imagine the sorrow of Adam and Eve having to walk out of the garden, of the thing that God created for them and know that they would never enter that place again. They would never experience what they had before in their lifetime again. Sorrow causes you to sink in despair. You're convinced that your circumstances will never change. You may become hopeless thinking God doesn't care about you. Maybe you think that your unanswered prayers prove that God doesn't care about you. You may be filled with regret as so you reflect on what never will be or what should have been. Your grief can be overwhelming. As you face the loss of a loved one or maybe that dream that you've been holding on to. Here's my point. I'm not here to literally pour cold water, so to speak, on what's been an amazing morning. But I think it's important that if we're going to understand the power of the gospel. For eternity, yes and amen but I'm talking about the power of the gospel for what we experience in everyday life. We have to first understand the effects that the fall have on us. Those common struggles. And so if you and I have common struggles that I deal with, let me just be transparent. You know what one of mine continually is? Fear. And if you were to tell me A couple years ago, Johnny, you know what you're really struggling with in this situation? You know how you oftentimes, your struggle is that really applies to so much of what you walk through that's of any difficulty? You struggle with fear. I would have probably gotten a little bit angry, too, because I would have said, are you kidding me? Like, as I look at my life, my life is filled with risk, moving places, Starting churches, not, not sure where income is coming from. God bless Lori for being along for the ride. But all of a sudden, when I began to stop, I was like, wait a minute, fear's not just about running from things, fear is also about wanting to control things. And for me, I was like, wow. Fear is a significant struggle of mine. You may be sitting here this morning and Let me just tell you, I've been there too, and you're like, Johnny, I got literally a struggle stew. Man, every single one of them I'm struggling with. Because that's unfortunately our sinful nature and how we react to circumstances in our life because of the fall, which then plays into the second struggle, which is relational struggles. My own struggles always bleed into my relationships. None of us are immune from that no matter how hard we try. We can experience a wider range of relational brokenness, conflict with one another, loneliness, even being in a relationship and feeling completely lonely, anxiety, family dysfunction, God forbid, physical abuse. And let me just wake some people up to maybe a reality in a room this size. We have many in this room that I'm not even aware of that that is one, unfortunately, The results that oftentimes happen, physical abuse, spiritual abuse in the church of all places. Let's not forget this, even a death of a loved one and losing a life. God designed Adam and Eve to live forever. Death is a result of the fall. And what's our response to relational struggles? Here's some. Distrust, self-protection, defensiveness, suspicion, isolation, avoidance. And at one time or another, maybe now, maybe in the past, we'll have to guard ourselves from it in the future. We will all have to deal with those in our lives. Why? Why? because we live in a sinful and evil world, but God did not create us to experience those things. He created us for good. Let me give you the last struggle. And when we got common struggles and we've got relational struggles, here's what I found in my life. There's always that comes with those two struggles, faith struggles. Because if I look at my reality and what I'm experiencing and how I react to it and how it affects my relationships, that's always going to lead me to start to believe that God's not who he says he is, that God short-changed me, that just like Adam and Eve, oh, maybe God is holding something back from me. But as we said earlier, that is a lie of the enemy, That is deception, that is distraction, that is discouragement, that is is division that the enemy's trying to work, but nevertheless, it manifests itself in faith struggles in my life. What types of faith struggles? Well, I think those battles with doubt that we have. Don't raise your hand. How many of us are struggling with that this morning? Like, yes, I know that God's presence is with me through the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Yes, I know that God's power is manifested in me through the Holy Spirit. I believe that. Yes, I believe in God's promises. I say it with my mouth, but I'm not sure I believe it in my heart. What do we battle with, man, when we're struggling? with fantasy or guilt or shame or anger or fear or sorrow, we automatically transfer that and say, God, I'm having doubts. I believe that your promises, oh, I believe in them. I just believe that they're for somebody else and not for me. Oh, God, I believe in your presence, but I don't, I don't feel it right now. I don't believe that you're with me, not in this God, I don't believe in your power that you can change this. Yeah, battles with doubt. How about this one? Battles with despair. Because you allow doubt to run its course long enough and it's always gonna lead to despair where you place your hope in a changing circumstances or relationships. And it often leads to you battling with hopelessness. I think nothing revealed itself for me how oftentimes I can battle with despair than when we were literally isolated and can't couldn't do so much. 2020, even to 2021, right? Couldn't go on vacation because no place was open. Couldn't escape to anything because nothing to escape to. So you're just at home with yourself in your house. And you've got Netflix and you got the news. Two nasty combinations sometimes. And you're like, all of a sudden, those things that could all co- could numb your despair, well, let me get away, let me get on a vacation. I love vacations, by the way, nothing wrong with them. Or all, oh, let me do this or do that. Or all of a sudden, man, we were like buying everything on Amazon, thinking that we needed it. Why? We were looking for something to help us battle with what, maybe? Despair. How about battles with distance? What do I mean by distance? Distance from God, distance from others. Man, I can't go to church today because I don't want to hear how God loves me and how God's promises are true and how he's going to provide for me when I am not seeing that play out in my life. I don't want to be reminded of it again. Because we battle And our faith struggles with wanting to create distance. Why? Because we don't really trust God. And I'm not saying that in a condemning way. I'm saying that, let's just call it what it is. And I've faced that just as much as you have. So don't think I'm up here judging you. Because in reality, you know what I'm struggling with? I really don't trust God right now. Just put up that chart that I put up earlier on God's story, but let's add something to it, which is what we call spiritual warfare. It's symbolized in these clouds, this visual. And what we need to understand is, we know this, many of us theologically, there's a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But here's what you also need to understand. There's also an evil trinity that is at work in every one of our lives. And you know what it's made up of? The flesh my sinful nature, listen, there's a lot of times that I could almost guarantee you that the devil and his demons are saying, listen, don't worry about Johnny. He can do what we, what we desire well on his own. Why? Because my sinful nature. That's at war within me. The world that we live in, right? The, the culture that is anything but about serving God. God, that's at war around us all the time, and the devil. Those three things we face all the time, and spiritual warfare can be made up of all of those things, or one of those things, depending on our life. And what so often happens is those clouds, much like on a cloudy day or a rainy day that we live in, can block us from seeing the sun, S-O-N, from understanding that God loves us, from understanding that Jesus Christ came not only to change our eternity, but to allow us to live in light of his love in the present and give us a new lens by which to see life. But so often those clouds, those circumstances, those struggles, whether they be in our own life, whether they be in our relationships, whether they be with God, can cause us to lose sight of the things that we encounter God never created us for. He created you for good. He created your relationships for good. He created your relationship with him for good. And as we're gonna look at for the next two weeks, we're going to unpack how Jesus came into our reality. He didn't say, I hope that you can climb up and at some point realize how much I love you. He said, no, 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 I'm gonna come down into that sin. I'm going to come down into that evil world. I'm going to put on human flesh and I'm going to do what I designed Adam and Eve to do, but I'm going to become the second Adam and I'm going to do that perfectly for you because I love you. And I'm going to die on the cross for your sin because that's what your sin deserves. God cannot allow sin to go unpunished or he wouldn't be good because he wouldn't be just. So Jesus says, I'm going to, bear that on myself for you and I'm gonna raise again three days later so that you can be redeemed to experience my love in the midst of this sinful world, in the midst of your common struggles, in the midst of your relational struggles, in the midst of your faith struggles and I'm not gonna be intimidated by those, I'm gonna love you through them. Which is why it's so important for us not to be tempted to truncate the gospel to only eternity. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the power of the gospel of Christ. Power for eternity, yes and amen, but power for you today, Sunday, yes. Power in the midst of your common struggles, yes. Power in the midst of your relation struggles, yes. Power in the midst of your faith struggles, yes and amen. That's why Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. So I'm not expecting you to say, okay, I got it all figured out. But so often we miss Placing, taking time to expound on the consequences of sin and the fall. And we jump straight to the good news of the gospel. And I understand why, and it is good news. But you know what? The good news of the gospel becomes so much better when I understand the results of sin in my life. And so if you're here today and you never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God, first of all, let me say this, God loves you. And Romans 10 says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. We saw individuals today who have done that. It's no magical prayer. It's just saying, Lord, I believe that you are my Savior and that you died for my sin. If that's you today, if you're watching online, man, you can do that right now as I'm talking. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, here's my aim for this series, is that we begin to understand how Jesus makes a difference for our eternity, but in the midst of every one of our struggles. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, we thank you today that you are faithful. God, we thank you today that when Adam and Eve sinned, you were not caught off guard. You were not thinking to yourself, I don't know what I'm going to do now. But in Genesis 3.15, though we didn't have time to cover it today, you give a promise of someone who is going to come and crush that serpent's head. Crush the schemes and the design of the devil to ruin what you created. And Lord, we praise you. That 1 John says, greater is he that is in you, in us, than he that is in the world. So God, whatever struggles are in people's minds right now, Lord, may they understand that the reason why you came is to provide the remedy to whatever they are dealing with. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, amen.